blackmail. We had an agreement! I'm making a new agreement. Treachery. What we need to do is bring the Romulans into the war on our side. Deception. When they're finished with us, they're coming after you. Tactics of war. No one wants to see the Dominion destroyed more than I do. Or Cisco's weapons of choice. As far as you're concerned, you're working for me. On the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Welcome to Strange New Takes. I'm your host, Notch Karnick, and with me plotting war crimes are... Dinah McPhail. Max. Bill Woywad. Adam Bowen. Emily Bowen Marler. And Rudy Kusbaker. So, Strange New Takes is supposed to be a Star Trek-themed podcast um, that's supposed to cover Strange New Worlds, but we got started early. Uh, we love doing Lord X, Discovery Season 3, and now we've taken a turn... Uh, in covering Star Trek episodes across series with moral dilemmas. Today, we cover the Deep Space Nine classic, In the Pale Moonlight. And please be sure to follow us on social media at Strange New Takes on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And uh, make sure to tell your your friends in in human life uh, also about this, even if they don't have a social media. And please also remember to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. It will help more listeners discover us. And if, if you do that and leave a review, we will read it on the podcast. And today we're totally going to be spoiling an almost 23-year-old episode. So <laughs> just wanted to make sure you all know that and that you've seen it before you listen, unless you just aren't really that worried about being spoiled. In that case, go ahead. And so, as Rudy mentioned before, today we're going to talk about In the Pale Moonlight. But uh, next week, we're going to be looking at another uh, moral dilemma in TNG's Drumhead. I'll mention that again at the end of the episode, but put that on your viewing list for next week. So for today, uh, with In the Pale Moonlight, we are talking about the Deep Space Nine classic episode from Season 6. It's Episode 19. And the summary is, with mounting losses in the Federation Dominion War and a specter of defeat, Captain Sisko enlists Garrick's help to, quote-unquote, persuade the Romulans to join the Klingon Federation alliance to win the war. However, Sisko learns that to save the Federation, he may have to betray the values that it stands for. So, off from that, we're going to do our strange new takes. We didn't. We didn't put a list. Typically, there's a list of us. Oh no! no. We messed up. I'm, I'm going to take uh, the opportunity. Typically, okay. I'm the one who asks for strange new takes, so then I feel like self-conscious about going first, and I yeah. don't. However, that is not what has occurred today, so I'm going <laughs> to do it. Uh, my strange new take is that it is lovely to get into the whole holiday card sending thing. Like there's a, there's a there's a. Uh, a, a orbit of holiday cards that fly between households that also send cards. And when you start making your own, you will start receiving others. And it's nice because you get to put all your friends' happy faces uh, onto the wall somewhere in your place. And then, you know, if you're, like, feeling bad, you can go and look at all the nice cards and all your friends smiling at you, and it is a very pleasant experience. So uh, make holiday cards if you can. That's my recommendation uh, and, and my strange new take. Uh, my other strange to take is, is this the greatest Star Trek episode ever made? 
I mean, yes. sources yes. say yes. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, well, it's currently highlighting me, so I'm just going to go and say that this is my strange new take. Uh, first part is a pro tip related to notches. Uh, and when you get all those cards from all of your 32 friends who have sent you a, uh, a card for the holidays, uh, get yourself some neodymium magnets. Those things will stick straight to your, uh, your, uh, the thing's called a refrigerator. They'll stick right there and they just will not come off and it's amazing. So yeah. Oh. Neodymium. It's great. Uh, for the episode, um, uh, I, 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 I don't know. I, I, I don't have anything to say besides that, like, yeah, this, this, this was a, a, a great episode of Star Trek. I think um, I get where people are coming from when it's a, that it's maybe troubles them because we're sort of distancing ourselves from the utopia. But I, I think that it, it makes sense for us to just go straight in and have questions about what people are doing because it, it just, it gives us a <laughs> lot of good thinking. And that's a weird way to say it, but Next person. <laughs> Please, dear God, save me. <laughs> well, I'm going to catch, I'm going to jump on to the strange new takes with our holiday cards, you know. Um, this, I used to be really great at, at sending out all of these cards to people and I'd make little gifts for people. And then I went into ministry where it was my job to like really celebrate these holidays and all of a sudden, I'm terrible sending <laughs> cards to people. So I'm slowly, slowly, the people who send me cards, they now get something back from me. So, and it is nice. I have their faces on my refrigerator and I organized them yesterday. So it's kind of funny that Ooh. we're talking about this. And my strange new take for Star Trek is you know, Star Trek is just timeless. Um, but for the same reasons that some of you want to lift up this being the best, whether this is one of the best mm. Star Trek episodes of all time, um, how would we feel if those that we disagree with were doing the same thing that Captain Sisko did? So that's kind of what, when I was watching that episode, I was like, mm -hmm. oh, yeah, I can see what he's doing. And then it's like, oh, wait. I can see what he's doing. <laughs> so, just, just some stuff to talk about for this episode. <laughs> totally. I can I can jump in next. Um, my general strange new take is actually kind of connected to Star Trek, but in a weird way. So I was watching um, the Christopher Nolan Dark Knight series, and guess who I spotted in in them? Uh, none other than. Um, Cleveland book our oh, our good old David Ajala. David Ajala guy and he he's apparently one of the um one of the gangs as the Joker is trying to take control one of the gangs that tries to go against the Joker in the beginning of of, of oh, that yeah, movie that's right. and that's right. and yeah it's actually my wife got that so that was that was fun and interesting um and then this episode yeah Star Trek is timeless, uh, but mo it's more than that, like this thing being written 20 years ago, I found it really hard to find a particular character or a line or delivery of any kind of content that seemed off, that mm -hmm. seemed uh, incorrect, out of place. So my uh, quest in this podcast is going to be to continue to try and find that. Uh, Emily, <laughs> you gave me a bone there in terms of, you know, the big bad world of the means justify the ends, right? But um, 
I couldn't find anything wrong and uh, it was just refreshing to see each and every face again after so long. And I, I, I just finished watching the uh, season like maybe six months ago, so, or the series six months ago, so it's not even been that long. I'm not a, a holiday card guy, so no, I, I no. think I'm just going to mm-hmm. sidestep this conversation and maybe just uh, <laughs> sit out, sit out uh, strange new takes for today, but, but I will join others and say that... Um, I was shocked by how good this episode was. I mean, obviously, I remembered it being good, but mm-hmm. man, uh, this was, I thought, a classic, and I am pumped to be talking about it today. Mm-hmm. Nice. Rudy, I totally thought you said the memes justify the ends. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, think, I think they do. I think that's a true statement. Um, so in Minneapolis, there was a Japanese restaurant and bar called Gori Gori Peku. This is a Star Trek tie-in, <clears throat> and it is it is named after the grandfather of uh, actor in Star Trek. Do you guys do you guys know where this is going? No. So, <clears throat> Ethan Peck's grandfather is is Gregory Peck. So yeah. if you guys ever, I don't know if you guys are familiar really? with Gordy Gordy Pecku, but yeah. that's yeah. that's what it is. Yeah. He's, he's, he's Hollywood. Kind of a, there's kind of a roundabout yeah. story, um, but yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then, yeah, it's my favorite Star Trek episode. Um, I think it's just awesome. Love Garrick, Simple mm-hmm. Taylor. Um, yeah, no, yeah, it's my favorite. <clears throat> yeah, so I, 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 I'm obviously guilty by association with Max of not doing <laughs> holiday cards ever. Uh, we have never <laughs> sent a single holiday card, and I don't know that we ever actually will, maybe, even... It's nice to have everybody else's holiday cards. Like we're like, oh, look, look at all our beautiful friends. Like Notch said, but we have never once sent a holiday card. And whenever we get one, we're like, oh yeah, yeah, the holidays. Yeah, we uh, hmm, cool. Well, we missed it. <laughs> Whoops. Um, and then for this episode, this episode makes me feel a lot like Stefan from um, Weekend Update. It's like this episode has everything. Like it's so, it's so good. It's so, so, so good. We started watching this. Um, doing a rewatch of Deep Space Nine a year ago and I've sort of been plotting through Deep Space Nine, but this episode has always stayed on the forefront of my mind as being like one of the best episodes I've ever seen. Well, and this episode sort of re kickstarted us watching yeah. DS9. After That's seeing true. this, we were like, we Let's need more. more. <laughs> Let's just add more <laughs> into it. And then so you watched I... the Q episode uh, in the beginning of the series and then turned it off. And then bye. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're, we're steering clear <laughs> like of uh, to... season one and two. <laughs> yeah. I, just like to, I like to, to believe that seasons one and two don't exist in like a lot of the Star Trek universe. Just because you're like, you, you work out your way up and you're like, there we go. Finally made it. I haven't really done that with Enterprise, though. I've never really gotten through the first couple seasons to get to what I is supposed to be somewhat better toward the end. Oh, we need to correct well, that. I, I, I have actually watched... So I did, a, I did like, an IMDb ratings-driven Enterprise rewatch recently, and I watched a few episodes from season one and two that are actually excellent. Like, they have some really good ones in there. Um, and, by the way, the, another thing that I did recently was I looked at a lot of lists of, like, the best Star Trek episodes mm-hmm. ever, and Broken Bow actually showed the Enterprise pilot, two-parter, yeah. shows up on a lot of those lists. Like, a lot of people really like it. I haven't watched it in ages, so... Okay. No, I, um, I, th- I think that uh, Enterprise is the best first season of Star Trek bef- besides maybe Discovery. Okay. Uh, or Lower Decks. Or, or no, Lower Decks. Lower I completely... Lower, yeah. for, Lower Decks might is probably above there, but... It's uh, it's it's actually incredible for considering the 
absolute garbage that most of the other ones did. So, sure. but it's so, like it was so hard to like really love Broken Bow because of when they went to the theme song, and you're like expecting this gorgeous orchestral, and then it's been a long road. Song, yeah. <laughs> anyway, but it was like I remember, like it, like I deflated when I heard that when I watched Broken Bow the first time. I was like, what is this? Anyway, okay. So we'll, we'll, I, we'll discuss that someday. I, I do yes. want to point out one thing before we jump in, Dinah, yeah. which is that this episode first aired 15th April 1998. The teleplay is by Michael Taylor. Story by Peter Allen Field, although, as you will find out later, Ronald D. Moore did significant amounts of story and writing mm-hmm. on this. And it's directed by Victor Lobel. So the reason I um, nominated this episode, besides the fact that it's an incredible episode, is for a moral dilemma episode in Star Trek, this episode stands out as being really different from a lot of other moral dilemmas, which are very clearly like this or this. In the context of like last week, where we talked about Tuvix, it was like, and Tuvix's existence, sorry, there's a lot of like S sounds in that one, Um, (laughs) and, you know, resurrect Tuvok and Neelix, or, you know, end Tuvok and Neelix's separate existences and continue um with two fixes existence so it's like 56 of one half of the other and you have to choose between these two very clear distinct options and what i really love about this episode is one choice really like dominoes into another choice and so it's not just one moral dilemma that captain Mm. cisco has it's several cascading moral dilemmas that have higher and higher costs as they go but then the cost of ending the, the the moral dilemma by being like i'm out is also very high so i love that whole progression and i think if we're going to talk about moral dilemmas in this episode there are several which is yeah. a very cool place to be it's pretty rich so that's why i introduced this into our oeuvre for this season yeah i think i think it's it's also a, a, a very it's one that comes up on lists of like episodes that people have opinions on quite a bit so i'm really glad that you picked this one so early in the series so why, why don't we jump into talking about those moral dilemmas and mm-hmm. i i Dinah, i don't know if there's a structure to this discussion that you uh think if there's a question that we should talk about first that's a good question so i think like the episode summary is pretty good but obviously it tries to avoid spoilers and so i think when what were the first immoral dilemma is really um do we interfere with the romulan empire's um, relationship with the Dominion by espionage. Um, and then having done that and having the espionage fail because the, all the spies are killed, um, what do we do to incre- like uh, to convince the Romulans to join the fight against the Dominion? And so I think that's the f- maybe the first one. And last week what we did was we said like, what do you what would you do? What would you agree with the choice that was made? We could either do like, an overall choice looking back from Cisco's point of view at the end saying, hey, the ends do justify the means even though they're terrible ends or we could start with from chronologically. I don't know what seems like the best one. Perhaps maybe starting chronologically with the first the first decision and then going jumping to the end and seeing if it actually does justify the means would be a good idea. So let's start maybe with the first one. Do we feel like the risk is worth the cost for forcing the Romulans basically to join the war with the Dominion? I mean, I, I, th- I think that this is definitely one of those ones where it's like, 
it, maybe it's easy at the end to be like, well, he did it, so it, it, yeah. it worked out. <laughs> like it, this, this episode would have gone extremely differently uh, if it had been a we like let's let's do this really risky thing, and it's uh, we're gonna go with this idea of like ends justify the means, and like whoops, uh, now the Romulans have declared war on us. Like right. we, uh, it, it, it like there there is a crucial moment at which you did say we're gonna go chronologically, but then I I'm gonna okay. point out we something they said at the we, very we, we end. Kind of have to, uh, okay. So it he, he he everything comes to hinge on a single moment where he's mm-hmm. he's he's sort of like talks about how he he can't do anything more. He has to just kind of wait to see mm-hmm. what's going to happen. And this the situation is either the uh, Romulan Empire is going to go to war with the Federation or they're going to go to the war, war with the Dominion. And there's not really that much wiggle room mm-hmm. uh, here. And it's... Uh, the it, We would all think about this episode very differently if if our, our boy Cisco had, uh, like, just ended the Federation. Right. <laughs> Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I just want to call out the, one of the biggest things for me at the end, the realization, the reverse realization was um, we all got invested, as you said, Diana, in, in following Cisco through that, you know, rabbit hole of a bad decision follows another and you know, stay the course. But if you view it from Garak's point of view, um, this is a no brainer. Mm-hmm. This had to happen. <clears throat> Forget him always having thought about, you know, planting a bomb within even the, that optronic device. Forget somewhere else in the ship. I, I even suspect if he, if those operatives of his on Cardassia ever died, maybe he right. just made that up. Mm-hmm. Um, so for him, it was other than Cisco reaching out to him, he was like, "There's no, there's no downside because one way or the other, Renak's gonna die." Mm-hmm. So, so there was no risk. It was whether the Tal Shiar would figure out if the Federation and Garak was behind the explosion or not. I mean, that was always going to mm-hmm. be. But you don't you don't get that till the end. You don't get that mm-hmm. until you go back mm-hmm. to the end and you, you think mm-hmm. from Garak's point of view. So totally. Yeah. Um, well, there's the there's the uh, I, the the reality is Cisco. It didn't matter what Cisco's decisions were. Like Cisco mm-hmm. thought he was making a whole bunch of decisions, or that he was on the mm-hmm. precipice of another potentially bad decision, but he wasn't really. Like right. there was only one way this was going to go, and it was right. the way it ended. Like there mm-hmm. was no, there was no other way. But um, the thing that's interesting is when. So as the viewer, and I don't know if I caught it the first time because obviously I don't remember the first time I saw right. this episode. <laughs> um, but I mean, I can think of the exact moment when I watched it this most recent time when I knew that Garrick had no intention of the mm-hmm. holographic simulation being what convinced Romulus to go into the, um, you know, to go into mm-hmm. the war on the Federation side. Because um, like there's just there's this look he's kind of standing behind Cisco and Cisco's mm-hmm. walking through and there's this look that Garrick has. And you're like, yeah, he has. <laughs> That's just the, the Garrick spent more time trying to figure out how to come up with the things that he thought Cisco would be OK right. with. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Anyway. Yeah, this was a, a, a manipulation on, on mm-hmm. multiple fronts. Totally. Yeah. One of the ways that I conceive of this dilemma, at least from Cisco's side and perhaps even Garrick's, is it's kind of the opposite of not the opposite but it's kind of the the escalation of the two vix dilemma right in two mm-hmm. vix you're thinking do we kill one person to save two right here it's do we kill three romulans 
um, this is, I guess I'm speaking more from Garrick's side, like is an ore right. from Cisco sitting at the end of this. Mm-hmm. Three Romulans died, but thousands, hundreds, whatever, tens of whatever Starfleet personnel are going to survive because the Dominion War is brought to an end. Right. Uh, you could think about it also as some, maybe some Romulans will die, but, um, mm-hmm. so is that, is, is that okay? Like when, mm-hmm. when we, when we think of that trade-off is, is, is are the needs of the many, uh, et cetera, et cetera, right. when you buy that. Totally fair. Yeah. I think it, to that point, you know, in, in general, it's like a commentary on the th- things that people do in, in war. Mm-hmm. And um, if if you feel maybe siege mentality isn't the right term, but like if you feel like you're existentially threatened, right, mm-hmm. as a nation or a civilization or whatever, what what lengths are you willing to to go to, and how flexible are your morals? Right, totally fair. Yeah, and I I, I guess for me, um, Cisco's actions kind of fundamentally hinge on on that piece and. Um, this question of, you know, can the Federation mm-hmm. still win this war? And I, I mean, my read on sort of the military and political situation is that they're they're actively losing the war right. at this point. I mean, right. we learned mm-hmm. that uh, Beta Z has been conquered by the Dominion. Um, and I had some reactions to that. I mean, where, where were the defenses? Come on, Federation. Right. Um, but... Yeah, you know, I, I think he feels backed into a corner. He feels like mm-hmm. he has no other options at this point. And if we if we buy that, mm-hmm. then I think he probably did make the right move. Oh. So I'm going to plant my flag there and stick with that. <laughs> what I think is really interesting, I think several of you guys have brought up, is the idea that realistically Cisco had so such low level of control over the situation. But we, and he as well, assume that he has significantly more control mm-hmm. over the situation than he does. Right. And um, sort of bringing back to Adam's point, like if Cisco had actually had all of the control that captains typically have in these moral dilemma episodes, would we feel like this is actually a, a rich moral dilemma in the same way? Or would be like, yo, Cisco, you're kind of a serial killer. Like you're you're, you're a murderer. <laughs> right. Like because taking it out of Cisco's hands to a certain extent mm-hmm. makes Cisco part of the moral dilemma. He's sort of a casualty of the moral dilemma himself. But then also, does it help us feel? feel like it's a more justified decision that it's not in Cisco's hands actually and it's actually in Garrick's who we kind of know is morally compromised anyway well, well it doesn't I, oh I, I I feel like that uh that's an interesting point it because it, it it also it changes it from um like just a straight up moral dilemma to also something that's like they're trying to talk about our the unintended consequences of of decisions that we make uh mm-hmm. because uh, yes, Cisco doesn't have a whole lot of control of this, but Cisco went to Garrick for a reason, right. and and Garrick knows this, and he points mm-hmm. it out to him. Like, did right. like did, did you think I was gonna go give you like the easy way because like I just have a network of criminals or whatever, and like that <laughs> right. I'll, I'll be able to just like make it happen. Like, no, you come to me because I'm gonna do. I am willing mm-hmm. completely to do very bad things if I believe that this is the right thing for us to do. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, that first decision yeah. is what makes Cisco the casualty. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it's just that it's that, I mean, he, he did it in a way to abdicate responsibility, but also bears 100% of the responsibility yeah. because right. he knows that Garrick is, has, does not have the moral scruples mm-hmm. that uh, Cisco has. I, okay. I think, I think we got to give Cisco more agency here though, yeah. because mm-hmm. Cisco, Cisco, 
whether or not he Renak's death was in his plans, he is planning to kill Romulan people who then join the fight, right? right. Like they will yeah. die, and he's right. trading a greater number of Starfleet lives to Romulan lives. I think for me, what this comes down to a little bit when I put myself in Cisco's mindset is he's dealing with two adversaries, right? The Romulans mm-hmm. aren't friends; like they're not like mm-hmm. people who who are going to be good to Starfleet themselves. And so his decision really comes on to, should I take two of my foes who currently are neutral to one another and turn them against one another? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I I don't know if util- it's the utilitarian approach that I'm, I'm thinking about here, but I, I do feel like, yeah. It, yeah. It, you know, the, the maximum utility probably comes out of the Romulans joining the war. Totally. The question I wonder is, if this had been Trill or Vulcan or Beta Z, one of the quote-unquote nice right. uh, mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. in Star Trek, would we see this decision the same way? Like, mm-hmm. or maybe the peace-loving, um, uh, what's that, what's that, the, the like, um, non-violent, I can't remember the name now, but if it had been them, that he forced mm-hmm. a non-violent group into war, the Romulans are a warlike people, right? Like, they they don't really need an excuse to, like, turn on folks. Totally, yeah. So, I, I wonder if that, within his mindset, that kind of lubricated the wheels for why this was okay, and why, totally. as a viewer, I'm more willing to accept what he did, or yeah. at least his intention on the utility side, than, say, if he was dooming a group of like happy like peaceful people who are getting along just fine totally fair and if if you think about it right his initial intentions after the conversation with dax are to find out like evidence like he it's not like he doesn't think the dominion is not gonna attack um the romulan empire it's just to find out evidence right and that evidence sits in the cardassian dominion side of things and the Mm -hmm. best person to go behind lines has to be Garrick. So he may have had worries around Garrick using means um, that are uh, you know not scrupulous, but but his intent was was noble in finding the real answer. And I don't know if if Beta said falls it falls after he goes to uh, Garrick, right? It doesn't fall before he goes to Garrick. I th- I think so. I think that's one of the so motivating. So I think that's like... where the the spiral starts, right? Where right. he's gone to Garrick to get evidence. Beta Z falls, he goes back to Garrick, and Garrick's like, oh, yeah, sure, I talked to people, they were very happy, but they all died. Right, yeah, all my um, dead, yeah. And so the stakes have exponentially increased mm-hmm. at that stage, and the only only alternative he had at that, has at that point is to exit and worry about how Federation, the Federation stops the continuing offensive, because, I don't know, like, there's a lot of battles um, in Memory Alpha and how this um, episode ties to major um, world military events yeah. around the Vietnam War specifically. Right. But mm-hmm. I think the falling of Beta Z is almost like the falling of France, even in the Second World War. Mm-hmm. It's quick, yeah. sudden, um, um, and there's no coming back from that. They don't know right. how to react and respond. So it, it just okay. changes the stakes immediately. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I, I think uh, kind of bringing it back also to uh, Emily's point in the beginning of like, if this was people doing it for like another side or, or like that we don't, we like, we don't agree, agree with, um, how would we feel about this? Uh, right. this, the whole dominion war kind of feels like us reaching for, um, a, a justified war in the sense mm-hmm. that a lot of people see world war two. Right. Uh, and it, like, I, I'm, I'm interested to, to see how star Trek would approach a, a more, uh, 
an ambiguous war where it's right. uh, like we're, we're at war with with a, another culture who's we can kind of see ourselves in. And if if they win, maybe they, it's not like that everyone gets subjugated and killed or whatever. It's just mm-hmm. that we don't get to be the Federation anymore. And the I it, it would be interesting to see like how some of these moral dilemmas would, would play out when we don't have the other side as demonized as we have pretty consistently seen of the Dominion. Dominion totally. So then if you think about the, I'm sorry, I think about the end scene, the last scene where Cisco has finished his captain's log, or is about to finish his captain's log, and he looks back on the events of the episode, which has really been sort of formulated as him trying to figure out how he feels about what he did and what he's responsible for. And he says, I can live with it. I can live with it. That's like the largest re- revelation about this episode is that he realizes at the end of this, like, mm-hmm. I'm actually pretty chill with all of this, even though there were some moral compromises. Yeah. What do you feel about that as a, as the end of this episode? Like, how do you feel about him being really okay with the moral compromises that he's made, given that he's a captain, given that he's, that this whole episode has been murky. How do we feel about that? I read it differently, actually, which is that I read that as him not being okay with it and convincing himself because he deletes the log, right? Like, yeah, he doesn't leave it. He, he's, he knows what he's done is wrong. And then mm. the, the the way I heard him say the line is like, because he says, so I will learn to live with it because, because I can, I can live, live with it. it. And I then can he says it, it twice. again, mm-hmm. which is, it's almost like him convincing himself that mm-hmm. it is something that he has to do rather than something that he can do right now. I hear you. Well, so the thing that in a way helps justify what Cisco did is so everything we've seen, and I think this helps Cisco actually, because I, I think he was trying to convince himself, but I think he also can live with it mm-hmm. because everything we know about the Dominion, everything we've seen, and they've planted some of these seeds in, you know, the first four seasons or first five, so this is six, six yeah, season, six, right? Yeah, six, yeah. The first five seasons, they've planted seeds about the Dominion and, and the way the Dominion operates and everything absolutely the dominion was going to turn to conquer romulus next like absolutely Mm -hmm. no no doubt about it Mm -hmm. it's just a matter of convincing the romulans of that and convincing them in a timely manner so that it's advantageous for Mm -hmm. the alpha quadrant right so that also um i think that kind of lubricates the decision Mm -hmm. you know we were talking about the things that make this an easier decision for him i mean even though maybe this wasn't done in the way Cisco would have liked to have been liked it to have been done. Um, Cisco's not wrong. Like he, Mm -hmm. he wasn't wrong that the dominion would then turn to Romulus and be like, okay, you all are subjugated now as well. Max, what do you think? Um, I, you know, I'm curious about kind of the Romulan angle on this too. Mm -hmm. I feel like maybe this is outside of the scope of our discussion, but, but I'm surprised that they've just been kind of sitting the war out. I mean, it seems pretty obvious that the writing is on the wall here and they, they need to do something, um, because the dominion doesn't just allow, you know, powerful empires to kind of coexist with them. Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of the, the moral dilemma and kind of that last scene though, you know, I, I think this is, this is for, I think for Star Trek, maybe kind of a new, um, model of what like moral and principled leadership looks like mm-hmm. and and I wonder if you know what they're trying to show us is that you know especially in wartime but but maybe also in general uh there are times where leaders you know have to make these kinds of decisions and what we want then from our leaders 
is is we want them to to think about what they've mm-hmm. done. You know, we want them to to kind of grapple with um, the decision they've made. But at the same time, you know, I, at least I kind of left this episode feeling like he he did what he had to do, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, sometimes that needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think Mac, uh, Max made a great point around the Romulan perspective. Um, we have no evidence to suggest that they. I mean, we all we, we all said that they had to join the war at some point. It was just about when and what would mm-hmm. save the most Romulan lives. We have no evidence to suggest that they were ever going to sit this out if left by themselves. Anyways, a good follow-up episode just by itself would be the Romulans trying to figure out a way to enter and justify it, and then they didn't have to or this sort of forced mm-hmm. their hand maybe five months earlier or six months earlier, and they were going to enter and support the Federation anyways, but they had mm-hmm. plans in motion, and it was like, okay, it happened, let's go ahead and 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 speed up the timeline. So mm-hmm. um, I, I, I just feel mm-hmm. that it, the Romulans were always going to enter the war, um, and this just sort of chose the point in time, and, and that seals the morality for me. There, there is a, a quick behavioral concept I want to talk about briefly, and then we should discuss whether Garrick's decision beyond mm-hmm. what Cisco wanted and how we think about right. that one, because that's right. a, that's a little bit more intense. There is a I forget now the the like specific principle involved, but essentially humans are not great at recognizing sunk costs for what they are, which is that right. they're it's done. You should not be considering them in your next decision, and we go deeper and deeper and deeper, and this is. Um, it's true of disinformation sometimes where you, you get a little bit of disinformation and then you buy the next piece because you've already bought, the, bought that first piece. Mm-hmm. And so it just takes you further and further down the rabbit hole. And we see this with Cisco where his where his motivations keep escalating one beyond the other. Whereas if he had been at point number um, four or five in this episode at, at point number one, if his decision mm-hmm. point at the right at the beginning is whether to give out that like biomedical substance, right. his name, I can't remember. Biomimetic, yeah. Biomimetic gel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If that was yep. the first decision point, he would not have done it. And right. this is true of a lot of organizations and, and this is how a lot of bad decisions get made in business specifically mm-hmm. as well because a group of people will come together and um, they'll make one bad decision but then, then which will then lead to a dis- In poli this is called... Um, uh, path dependency theory. So I don't know what's called an econ, but path dependency theory would be yeah. the poli sci equivalent. Yeah. Yeah, and and it's it's pretty well established. Another great example of this is actually the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's if you, if you read a lot about like Richard Nixon's presidency, LBJ, the Kennedy presidency, you'll read a lot about similar decisions being mm-hmm. made in the national security apparatus uh, that just bad decisions cascaded leading to even worse decisions in the future so anyway but with that i think i think before we get into the break here we should Mm -hmm. discuss garrick's role in this yeah i mean i don't know so garrick i mean in some ways he's just he's a really convenient person to have on the ship who has all these connections and then that's for obvious reasons like he is very convenient to have in general i think what garrick recognizes is that this is kind of what has to happen in order or like has to something has to be something they're ready to do in order for the ends to actually justify the means right like because if you go through all of these other steps and you give all these other things and all these other compromises and then the romulans don't accept it and then it you know go into war against the federation then like there's no point and so he him him making these somewhat unilateral decisions to um win this particular fight at any at any cost 
he recognizes that that's something that he's willing to do because he's morally compromised anyway. And it's he's he's correct. Now, do I think he does the right thing? Not particularly, but I also know that, he, that this situation would not work out the way that it did that it does in the Federation's favor without Garrick's ability to make those decisions. So, would I want to be the person to make those decisions? No, but would I kind of be in Cisco's camp of saying like, I can accept it because it's what I needed to have happen? Yeah. Do I feel uncomfortable with that? Also, yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I, I mean, the, the, like the interesting thing here, I guess, is that uh, Cisco and Garrick have different moral philosophies, mm-hmm. and I, so I, th- I think to some degree, like if I if I put myself in Garrick's head and like think about his moral philosophy, Garrick he absolutely made the correct decision. Like it, his moral philosophy is something closer to like minimize the damage, uh, right. no matter what uh, sort of like cost it it brings about. So like. Uh, Garrick is totally willing to kill 500 people if it saves a thousand people. I think mm-hmm. uh, it's a, uh, and maybe that's a little bit extreme, but it, like it's a, uh, he, so it, so I, I guess what's what's interesting is is we're sort of dealing with, uh, is it okay for me to, within my own moral philosophy, to go mm-hmm. and work with other people's different interpretations and then accept their decisions out of that, and like how do how do I feel about that? Totally. Um, how much should I be expected to be able to predict what other people are going to do? Totally. Bill, you've been kind of quiet over there. What are you thinking? Um, it's, you know, the Dominion War is just really interesting and it, it can serve as a catalyst, as in this case, to um, bring about more interesting moral dilemmas. So mm-hmm. in TNG, for example, the, the Federation is strong. The Enterprise D is basically like magic. And so Picard kind of has the luxury mm-hmm. of just like doing the right thing, right? right? Yeah. But here, Cisco is, is really stressed, right? And right. it's causing mm-hmm. him to, to be in this position and have to make these types of decisions. Mm-hmm. Totally fair. Yeah. Yeah, I I think, again, I think we are beholden to the the good ending in judging Garrick. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if if, right. if it had ended badly with the Romulans attacking the Federation, <laughs> right? Yeah, maybe yeah. we would be much harsher on on Garrick's decisions. Totally fair. I think he was confident that there was no possibility that would happen. Right. Like he mm-hmm. always knew he was going to kill Renak, right. and he. I think the only if you if you were to take this to true completion would be Section Thirty One finding out about this and killing Cisco and Garrick, mm. and that's it. There's mm-hmm. no evidence. Right. Oh my yeah. God. <laughs> well, but the Section that. 31 people know. <laughs> the Maybe. Section 31's totally fine. They're, they just, they have these like self imploding, uh, 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 that, what is the word that I'm trying to think of? Uh, departments. There we go. Uh, and, uh, they just, they sacrifice themselves to kill a bunch of people and it's all good. Bye. Yeah. I think, you know, real quick with, with Garrick, um, I think it's, it's also important to remember just how much he sort of personally has at Mm -hmm. stake here. And in in a way it's, it's more than anybody else because his home world is already occupied by the dominion. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so he, you know, he doesn't care. Like he's already lost everything and he's willing to do whatever it takes, um, to, to beat the dominion and and liberate Cardassia. Right. Definitely. Yeah. Adam, your, your point about him having a different moral framework is a really good one. And I, there's some episode where they're talking about, um, Cardassian, like detective novels. 
Oh yeah. Or something, and it's like, oh, you have to uh, read to the end to find out who's who, like who's guilty. And he's like, no. And in Cardassian detective novels, everyone is guilty. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so good. Yeah, yeah. And so it is. I mean, you could make that argument that it's a different, a different civilization, a different culture with mm-hmm. different moral standards. <clears throat> yeah. All right. Well, why don't, why don't we take a break over here? And then we'll come back and discuss more to do with the writing and a lot of other things. With a seemingly legitimate rod in one hand and a dead senator in the other, I ask you, Captain, what conclusion would you draw? That Vrinak obtained the rod on Sukara, and that the Dominion killed him to prevent him from returning to Romulus with it. Precisely. And the more the Dominion protests its innocence, the more the Romulans will believe they're guilty because it's exactly what the Romulans would have done in their place. That's why you came to me. Isn't it, Captain? Because you knew I could do those things that you weren't capable of doing. Well, it worked. And you'll get what you want. A war between the Romulans and the Dominion. And if your conscience is bothering you, you should soothe it with the knowledge that you may have just saved the entire Alpha Quadrant and all it cost was the life of one Romulan senator, one criminal, and the self-respect of one Starfleet officer. Welcome back to Strange New Takes. Let's jump into discussing story and writing, a little bit about how this episode was filmed, uh, maybe a bit about the characters themselves. I will just start us off by saying the writing of the cascading uh, interests that Cisco has to face is is so... It was never overly uh, heavy. It, it never felt like... You know, like two weeks, like, oh, I'll be here forever, Doctor the Two Weeks. Time what to kill you. Time. <laughs> <laughs> so it's true. I think so. I mean, typically, that in my, my role in uh, or the role I've given myself, honestly, in this show is like, here are the here are the things that I don't like about this writing. It's like not even that good. And here are the problems. And uh, luckily, we don't have to listen to me bitch about the writing today. So you know, I think my, my the majority of my content is kind of out the window. But what I agree with you, Nash, is I think that the stakes are always really high. Everyone is a true believer in what they're doing, and then at along the along the way, there are like things that re-cement Cisco's um, motivation to continue. So we have more casualty lists, the fall of Beta Z, like all these things that are outside of just the scope of Cisco's interpersonal relationships that really add to the stakes. And then on top of that, Cisco has to compromise different relationships that he has or risk compromising different relationships that he has. So it, it the, the the drama within Cisco's own life continues. The fact that, you know, Quark doesn't really care, actually really enjoys being bribed is, you know, sort of a side, a side note is funny. But then like with Julian Bashir, he definitely objects to um hmm. to selling to trading the gel for um for no reason according to him. So like there there are compromises along the way that really help as well. So it's it's masterfully set up in the way that it's executed across the board. And then individually in the writing piece, I think the only thing I'm gonna say is um that I t- and pointed out to Max the other day that in this episode, the reason this episode is able to do so much is because every single scene starts in the middle of a scene. Like there's no like I walk into a room and say, yeah, Hello, it's very Doctor, efficient. how are you? 
And then we have lots of pleasantries, which is a lot of what happened in Tuvix, where it's like, there's a lot of dead space for no reason. Yeah, and this episode, this episode's like, for a while. And, yeah, yeah, come in, like, we're, we're, the stakes are already high, we already know what we're getting into, and then here is the important stuff, and then we're going to move on. And I love it. I love it. Yeah. It's just it, Well, and they're it, able it, to do that because of the way the story is set up, because yes. of Cisco doing kind of the monologue yeah, thing that they have exactly. him. So he, he takes care of all that. Mm-hmm. So we don't need to worry about that extraneous stuff, because totally. Cisco's the one that's tying all of our... Um, scenes together. Absolutely. Which, and and yeah. it's think, nice because that's not usual. They don't usually have episodes shot like that in Star Trek. So. Totally. And I think that's key because by doing the monologue approach, what what at least what happened with me was you're you're it's so immersive. You are in there with Cisco. You mm-hmm. are Cisco, right? right. Mm-hmm. So when when um you're making that decision about the biomimetic gel with Cisco. Right. 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 Yeah. You are waiting in stress when Cisco is waiting in stress to see if the the data rod is accepted, and when that dude screams out, "It's a fake!" Right? <laughs> like I don't. I was trying to go back again and remember when I saw this the first time. I'm sure I would have freaked out. I'm. I would have been like, "Oh my god, where is this? Mm-hmm. Forget yeah. episode. Forget season. Where is this series going? Right? Mm-hmm. Are we? Are yeah. We at yeah. The, We're about so to. So it, it was. It was so immersive. Um. That. That. Like you were literally in there with Cisco decision by decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, this kind of re- uh, reminds me a bit of um, uh, Breaking Bad. So is is it has a similar structure where the entire series you're able to follow Walter White in mm-hmm. every one of his decisions and sort of see like why he's doing this thing, mm-hmm. and it, it it does not go well. Spoiler <laughs> alert! But but like the, the the thing that you you can you're you're with him at every single point. There's mm-hmm. no point of him. Where you, where you like are completely unbelieving of like his mustache twirling villain type things or whatever, mm-hmm. and and it's similar here with with Cisco. Like you you're there the whole time. It's like it's just like a very well constructed tragedy, a tragedy which ends really well for us, and we like we <laughs> the the war is eventually won and whatever. But uh, yeah, this this episode is just like super great. Along all like those they points. won the war. You just spoiled it. Spoiled the whole me. thing. Oh, yeah, we did. This was Breaking Bad for me. I haven't seen it. <laughs> 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 Breaking Bad ends with the Federation. That, yeah, it has a happy ending too. Breaking Bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Well-known, famous happy ending. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, yeah. I, there I, are a I, lot of Breaking Bad battles. You're right. I, I saw that too. I have it in my notes actually. There is there is one thing. Sometimes I think about what other writers that wouldn't have done so well writing this episode could have done. For example, you could have got a tearful scene between Cisco or maybe Jake comes in and and he's, oh yeah, he's got, he's, you know, he's got a buddy, <laughs> two buddies who are fighting and he's not sure whether to break up the fight or encourage it. And then Cisco's mm-hmm. like, hmm, you know, like, yeah. let's shine a mirror to Cisco. Like there's some like really <laughs> dumb stuff that could have occurred right. that didn't. And in mm-hmm. fact, there are other characters we just barely see in this. Like we don't see Jake. We right. barely see Kira. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, yeah, she like and, calls on the telephone. Right. Right. Even Bashir and Dax's contributions and Quark's contributions are very focused. Right. Um, mm-hmm. There's and so I I I really appreciate the sophistication of that. Right. One specific thing I want to call out. You know, you're talking about how the monologue format prevented us from seeing certain mm-hmm. scenes. All we see is to, uh, uh, um, Vrenak saying it's fake. We don't get the like, it's fake, right. Captain. How dare you? Right. I'm going to storm off now. And right. There's yeah. just none of that. And right. and there is a certain level of trust in the viewer to right. recreate those things for themselves, mm-hmm. which I 
tremendously appreciate it mm-hmm. uh, as well. So um, we, sh- we should move on to talking a little bit about the direction mm-hmm. um, and the camera angles that were used specifically. There's a lot of Cisco looking directly at the camera, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, when, when Rudy, you talked about the immersive element, I think that's, that's a very deliberate choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the time we're very close into our characters. So there's that feeling of stress and kind mm-hmm. of being... Uh, constricted like when even when they're showing the hollow you know there's that scene with Damar and the other Cardassian and in, in the camera angle is very tight there are very few like wide angles in this right. uh in this episode which well, I really like, appreciate it Renak like witnessing that hollow he is in the hollow like he's not looking at it from afar like he's walking up to the different um different characters the different you know uh, fabrications in this holodeck as well so there's a lot of like there's a lot of closeness and one of the things that I noticed in the beginning, his his um, monologue is very like animated and fast and you know pitchy and breathy, which is kind of his his delivery anyway. But then once Vrenak joins the, who is incredible by the way, once Vrenak joins the the cast, everything slows down. So the scenes with Vrenak are slower. The scenes with the captain after Vrenak's death are slower too, like with the the monologue, and that's actually really cool too. The pace has been going. A million miles a minute and then once Renak is there all of a sudden it's like we we can't speed this we have to wait for you and then there's a lot of like cul- like dramatic culmination which I thought was really cool so there's 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 pace and then there's distance and I think both of those were really played beautifully in this episode shout out well, to think- so, sorry to interrupt Emily I just want to take this opportunity to give a shout out to Stephen McCaddy who uh was the one who played Vrenak he's Incredible. been in a bunch of stuff including Watchmen uh, recently, and also mm-hmm. the, the guy who played Grab, Grabtan Tolor, Howard Shangra, uh, who's been in less stuff. I think his last credit was in 2009, but I thought he also did a great job mm-hmm. in his role. Okay. Emily, what were you going to say? Well, the change of pace also, I think, highlights the masterfulness of Garrick's plan. Mm-hmm. Um, because while I think it's pretty obvious that Garrick just planned to have that shuttle blow up so that any evidence... Garrick still had to have all of the other things fall into place right? so that that iso or whatever up the melodic whatever Johnny, rod yeah. thing so <laughs> that it was on the shuttle mm-hmm. and um, could still be because that evidence was still necessary mm-hmm. for bringing the Romulans into the war. You know, they still needed to be able to see anyway. So it's just but I think I think we're able to appreciate that more because of how the second half of the episode gets carried out mm-hmm, totally and, and i think again it's key in like I, we don't even know if the tal shiar determined if it was a fake or not the biggest supporter for the romulan dominion alliance was renak the key was getting rid of renak not really mm-hmm. convincing him That's it, fair. it doesn't matter yeah. right so again we don't know if there were forces in romulus that were trying to figure out a way to break that alliance and maybe they, they got ahead of it. So I still, I feel like if there were, you know, a hypothetical follow-up episode just showing the Romulan point of view, mm-hmm. um, it would be so interesting. Another, another question I have for you guys, and I don't know if you are going to bring it up later, Diana, um, but what do you guys think about this being an episode to introduce somebody to forget Deep Space Nine, Star Trek to, because that monologue immersive experience mm-hmm. is so narrow. You don't need to know who is who. I don't. I don't know. Do you want to take that one? I. I mean, 
I'm sure others have opinions on this too. I, I think it'd be a pretty good one. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think because of the um, sort of tightness of the storytelling, as we've been talking about, um, the they, they treat mm-hmm. the viewer as, you know, intelligent. And I think if you're somebody mm-hmm. who can kind of jump into a plot and follow the moving pieces, and I think they do a lot to help you mm-hmm. with that, um, then you're going to enjoy this episode. Uh, at the same time, you know, I think you're probably going to enjoy it more uh, if you've watched the the previous, you know, six seasons. I think, too, what's interesting about this episode is that it is it is a di- divergence from the typical Star Wars moral dilemma episodes. Um, Star and Trek? I like, I like it. Sorry. Star- sorry. Oh, oh, no! Oh, 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 no! Oh, no! I've made a horrible mistake. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Right, Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> where am I? Who am I? The Star Trek um, moral dilemma episodes where... Um, there's obviously there's a a one choice or two like two really um really diametrically opposed options and then the captain is the best person and then it's a more it's like a utopia that emily was talking about before like oh i miss kind of miss the utopia part and so it's not that it's it's a bad episode obviously to introduce people to star trek with um but at the same time you know i think it stands out as being different enough from typical trek that starting with it might then people be like, oh, every episode's like this. This is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> Not every episode is like this, and so it, you know, yeah. there's there, there's this point counterpoint. I think they're, I think it's excellent, but I think it also might not be the the best one. You know. See, I I think the, so, I I don't like when Star Trek gets super dystopian. You know, mm-hmm. like which is one of the things that's kind of I've kind of bumped up against with some of the newer Star Trek because that's just the way our society is. We like dystopians, mm-hmm. dystopian stories and and that's kind of the way we're going. Um the thing I like about In the Pale Moonlight is it's not dystopian. Mm-hmm. It's still very firmly rooted in what the what this idealistic future is, you know, where where um you know, like the point is not is not conquering and border expansion and, and war. The point is exploration and, and, um, you know, at least, I mean, we hope the point is right. Seeking out new life and new civilizations, (laughs) not so we can like eradicate them and commit genocide, but so we can learn more and, 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 and become, you know, and all be better together, whatever. Um, and I, but I like that this, this story is set within that context and it's not about the Federation being nefarious or this evil side of the Federation being present. It's about, um, it's about people making hard decisions Mm -hmm. and maybe not always the right decisions. And that sometimes that's just reality. Yeah. But it's not, it's not because we have to root out this evil, this evil thread in the Federation. That's, I don't know. Not so that's why I like this yeah. episode, even though it's showing a darker. It's kind of a dark. It's a darker episode for Star Trek, but it doesn't feel like it's trying to be like, you know. And actually, the Federation was evil all along. Not I your see face you, Notch. Right yeah, what is that face? <laughs> I, I, don't, I I could see how you could categorize it that way. I I do think that this is you know you could find any number of Section Thirty One motivation people who, just because the episode is written from the other side, we think of their motivations as devious or whatever. But um, I don't know. I, I, I think this is this is a very similar, for example, to some of the motivations of um, quote-unquote dystopian written mm. star- shows. Like, this This to me is a very close to a lot of Battlestar Galactica moral yes. dilemmas. 
Uh, I mean, it's written Unsurprisingly, by the same guy. I mean, Ronald D. Moore is <laughs> like yeah. um, the author. But but so I, I I don't know. I think I think it is somewhat in the in the way that you categorize it, and and mm-hmm. I I actually categorize this as one of the darkest episodes in in the show. Uh, mm-hmm. Just in terms of, I mean, they kill Tolor at the end. Like they, this right. dude, he's he's a criminal who like nearly killed Quark. They they sprung him from a Klingon prison. There was all this like happy talk about how happy he is, and at the end he's just dead. Like yeah. he's eliminated to to keep the secret. And yeah. this is a Starfleet officer doing that stuff, right? Like I mean, mm-hmm. he doesn't he doesn't report Garrick. He deletes the log. Right. He you know it's mm-hmm. I I I don't know. I I would say that this is fairly dystopian in the way mm-hmm. that it's 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 put together. And there is a version of this episode that's like Picard seeing this from the other side and watching Cisco do this and Picard getting extraordinarily outraged that it's happened and the episode ends with him like reporting Cisco to whatever and then Cisco gets drummed out mm-hmm. of the the out of Starfleet or there's an admiral patting him on the back saying good job son like this is what we should have done all along and then he eats right. worms out of a bowl like so <laughs> I I don't know like it's but I I respect I respect the desire for an escapist sci-fi being escapist and not mm-hmm. being like this, like not taking the things that you really like and making them evil. Like that's, it makes complete sense yeah. to me. So I, think, I don't want to push yeah. back on like your intentions. I just view this differently myself. Well, but that's why when I said at the beginning, my strange new take is this episode actually made me uncomfortable mm-hmm. yeah. because like, I didn't think of it this way before. We're just in a really interesting point in history, I think, yeah. in our nation. And so it just made me really uncomfortable because I'm like, yeah, you know, there are people who are doing things that I feel are really questionable and they are backing up their right to do it because just like Cisco is, you know, like mm-hmm. anyway, so it, it just made me really uncomfortable. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Bill, what do you think? Um... Yeah, I mean, it. I, I, I think you guys both have a point. I mean, it's clearly a very dark episode, and that and DS Nine for like kind of old school Trek is definitely the darkest series. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's why it's the most interesting. I agree. Yeah. Um, I actually don't. I, I'm not in the. I'm pro dystopia in general. I think it's. I think moral ambiguity is just a really fertile ground for interesting stories. And, yeah. Um, but, but it's still, having said that, it still has that like tone or that feel of nineties Trek, which is, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe it's nostalgia or something. It's hard to say, but it, it does feel more optimistic, uh, than a kind of traditional dystopian sci-fi. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah, I think some of that is also down to the pastels and like the way the sets are created. It's also like you know yeah. the, they're upset that their friends have died, and then in the next scene there are some smiles cracked, and like it doesn't right. like hit the characters for, which, I yeah I th- I actually like that. I I didn't think we needed to like make this a dark, deeper, darker, grungier yeah. thing. So I thought mm-hmm. it was I think that contributed to the happiness that I derived from watching it. Um, I, I do have a quick question about something, which is I'm going to read off from Memory Alpha, so bear with me uh, for a second. The earliest origins of this episode were to be found in a discussion about the writers about various pivotal moments in recent U.S. history, like the Gulf of Tonkin incident. Uh, there's a bunch of others. 
The original premise by Fields uh, revolved around Jake watergating First Minister Shakar of Bajor. He discovers an undisclosed secret about Shakar from his days in the Bajoran resistance, hmm. which, if it got out, would bring down to the Shakar government and throw Bajor into chaos. When Jake tells his father about the secret, Sisko tries to stop him from publishing it. However, when the staff writers went to work on the story, they couldn't make it work, so they altered the basic premise to Jake discovering something about his own father. Ronald E. Moore compared this premise to All the President's Men. This was the idea around which Michael Taylor composed his first draft of the script, the inherent conflict between Jake and Sisko. The story would begin when Jake tries to get an interview with Garrick for the Federation News Service. But Garrick is uninterested in being interviewed. Jake presses him, but Garrick won't budge, so Jake goes to his father to try and get him to put some pressure on Garrick. However, Sisko tells him to stay away from Garrick altogether. Intrigued, Jake begins to investigate and he discovers that his father and Garrick are involved in shady dealings and are trying to bring the Romulans into the Dominion War mm. by lying to them. The plot of this episode. Yeah. Mm. And essentially what happened is that the writers decided the bond between Jake and Sisko were too deep. Yeah. To for the conflict to be believable. Hmm. Now I want to get your reactions to these two concepts and what you what that made y'all think of, like the original one about first minister Shakar and then this kind of uh, second draft. I I think it's really interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, but but part of me like it makes it difficult because like uh, just like with this the end of this episode where where like we get to look at the the ends mm -hmm. like. This is a fabulous piece of Star Trek. Right. <laughs> and I feel like they would have, uh, like, if, uh, as described, this I think the second draft of that sounds really intriguing. Mm -hmm. I feel like they would have completely screwed it up. I, 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 like, it's, it is so hard to pull something like that off mm -hmm. uh, that uh, I, like, I, I, I think it, um, I don't know if I if I agree that the that their bond is like too strong or whatever, but I I just feel like that that's a heavy lift to have such a Jake Jake centric ep episode. Yeah. I, I I don't I don't personally have a lot of like I, I th he's in some great episodes, but I don't have a, a lot of memories mm -hmm. of of like where he he needs to be like the person with the huge conflict. Yeah, and I I just. Um, I think that I, that would have been yeah. difficult to pull off. I, I'm with you. I, I just don't think he's a strong enough actor to to carry that kind of episode. Yeah. Um, I think I would have had a hard time believing that. I think for the so the, the first draft about the Bajoran um, uh, government government like it's interesting, and I think it, what's cool about it is it connects the most to the war um, and has sort of similar stakes of, of for for the war. Um, but at the same time, like we don't really give a shit about the Bajoran government, like, emotionally. And I think what's cool about this episode and the way that it turned out is that, for the most part, the people who are in this episode are people that we care about. Um, mm -hmm. And they're stakes that we believe yeah. in. And they all... And we know we know what the stakes actually are. Um, and so, sort of creating what's more or less... Not really a bottle episode, as not said before, but, like, somewhat of a bottle episode, is that we have the ability to... We know every... We know these characters enough... Um, that we don't have to do a lot of that. Like, and by the way, mm -hmm. the Bajoran government is really important because blah, 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 which we have to yeah. do a lot more exposition yeah, to get yeah, to the yeah. point. Um, and then I was thinking uh, a couple of minutes ago that this episode doesn't really have an A plot and a B plot. It's just the A plot. And the B plot is like, you know, Cisco describing the A plot or the stakes of the A plot. And so to 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 break out of that, the the like every, all like, balls to the wall is like this episode is all in on this one story 
in order to give us more exposition or whatever else it is. I, you know, I, I feel like currently, I feel like this episode is the the best version of those three different versions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think if they had taken that journalistic discovery angle, that would have thrown the morality side of it into much more uh, murky territory. I'd feel very close to what Emily is feeling right now because you'd immediately draw parallels to Watergate, right? Like you wouldn't be mm-hmm. able to d- detach from it. Uh, and, and then the the um, access point, where would you go once this was done, right? With Jake as a character, mm-hmm. um, he wasn't, I guess he wasn't heavy enough to carry it off, but I think it would, it would ruin the character. They would have to define some sort of maturity in him being able to manage that duality through the rest of the series. And mm-hmm. he, he never became that yeah. kind of person. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it would have it would have been interesting. The journalistic angle would have been interesting. It would have made it a much more um, morally complicated situation. Yeah, uh, and of course, there's a reason that these the these scripts did not get written. So right. uh, <laughs> I just I thought it was inter- it's an interesting thing to to discuss. The other thing I I, I want to briefly just mention is that Vrenak is portrayed as this kind of conniving Romulan person. And I wonder what would have happened if Vrenak was a more sympathetic, a super chill <laughs> character. Like he's all, he didn't insult the Federation the second he stepped on the ship. If he was like an older, like more frail senator that we like sympathized more mm-hmm. with, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. and how that might have affected our our take on on things well, that it, happened. Or here. even uh, it it makes me think of like in uh, House of Cards, the the Russian mm-hmm. president is like. He's not to pr- uh, portrayed sympathetically, but you he's very clear about his motivations and like yeah. the people that he that he like the the things that he needs to deal with, like back at home and whatnot. And so like I could see a version of a free neck that is that is very like like, look, I have to do things this way because right. the Senate will not go in this direction. And this is what's best for us and whatnot. But yeah, what I think is really cool about these questions, though, is that like. This story has so many variables, right? Like, if this mm. one thing didn't happen, this other thing wouldn't have happened, and then if this mm. that thing didn't happen, this and so like the questions are definitely part of the moral d- dilemma, right? Like, we feel somewhat more comfortable with Vrenak dying because he's an ama- he's a glorious dick. He's just incredible. He's <laughs> so good. Um, but at the same time, like like we were saying like last week, he's still alive, and I think that's Cisco recognizes that he's still alive and still values that life, and so. You know, I think it's really the, the changing of the variables does add to or, you know, um, complicate things. But at the same time, that's sort of the the point of this story is that if one thing changes, everything changes. Yeah. You know? and, and, and going back to what you were saying, and this maybe not being a good episode to introduce somebody to Star Trek with because all of them may not be so good. But imagine a section 31 series with Michelle Yeoh where every single episode hits on such moral dilemmas in different mm-hmm. ways. Um, that would be so good. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm sort of setting myself up for a failure here, but <laughs> yeah, I, that sounds section so 31. good, but I Next don't week. trust them. <laughs> to do They're it. terrible people. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, why don't we jump into strange new ratings and uh, who's going to stick their neck out and give, you know, very tough to give this episode a, a rating. So, yeah. please. <laughs> who who goes lowest needs to explain why they were the lowest. <laughs> Everybody yeah. well, I, I'll, I'll start out very bravely and just stick my neck out there. This, this one's a 10. Uh, don't at me. Uh, best episode of Star Trek that there ever was. 
Um, I will fight for this episode. I have I very rarely ever give things a 10 out of 10. This is an episode of a 10 out of 10. It's an 11 out of 10. And I will fight for it. So you can you can come at me, and I will fight you. Just letting you know right now. Well, I'm I'm not going to mix it up here. I'm going to give this a 10. Uh, this is an amazing episode of Star Trek. I mean, on top of everything else we've talked about, um, I really thought this was kind of both Cisco and Garrick at their best. Mm-hmm. And yes. if you like those characters, this was like amazing for, right. for both of them. Beautiful. Yeah. I, yeah, 10. It's all good. I will give it um, nine legitimate data optronic rods out of nine. <laughs> Okay. Nine and nine. Oh. nine, and nine. <laughs> nice. I like it. <laughs> Not just looking at the spreadsheet and like, damn it. <laughs> my metric system. <laughs> Emily, what do you think? Oh, sorry, Bill, go ahead. Ten. No. Yeah. No. That, my favorite episode of Star Trek. Yeah, ten out of ten. Do it. Do it. Do it. It's okay. Give it a five. It's all yeah. good. Yeah, Two yeah, out of ten. Come on. No, I love this episode. I love this episode. I think it's a great episode. But I don't know that I don't know that I would ever recommend this one as the episode of Star Trek that someone needs to watch to help them get into Star Trek. So I can give it I could give it a five out of five, you know, because I do my rating differently. (laughs) I can give it that. But I would give it that with the caveat of Mm -hmm. I don't know that this is one of the top 10 episodes that I would recommend to people to watch in order for them mm. to understand what Star Trek is. So, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I think I, I didn't I didn't comment when we were discussing that earlier, but I, I completely agree. Like, I just feel like you would watch this and expect a very different, like you would expect Breaking Bad, basically. Right. And yeah, yeah. there are, mm-hmm. I feel like you need, maybe this is a discussion we can have sometime, or what needs to occur in an episode of Star Trek that we are, recommend. Are we saying uh, that this episode is too good for us to recommend <laughs> that other people watch. Is that what we're saying right now? We're saying that this episode is... No, I think... Like, surpasses like, what we say, like, level of quality. Two, like, two Vicks, <laughs> so you, you don't expect too much. <laughs> I <laughs> totally recommend it. No, no, no. no. I, think, I think you need, you need so a ship going to warp as a minimum minimum line <laughs> for a Star Trek you're, you're episode. Like a, you're like a bad Yelp review. We're like, one out of ten, didn't yeah. go into warp. Very disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> someone someone needs to rip their shirt while punching a, a They should have shown the shuttle going to warp alien. and blowing up, maybe. <laughs> there you go. Criteria check. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I didn't say censors right. once. Well, thank you uh, to all of you for once. Everyone else here. It's, Thanks, Nash. Yeah, we're all here. Thanks, Nash. I didn't even... But thank you, Diana. Thank you, Max. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Rudy. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Emily, for being Still here today. Still got our names. Nailing it. Doing something. Nice. <laughs> I have to refer to the list on Zoom every time so I don't forget somebody. Um, <laughs> thank you, listener, for being here. Remember to, uh, next week, watch The Drumhead. A great episode of Next Generation. Can you do, this, can you do, the, can you do the next week on Star uh, Star Trek? Next week on Strange New Tricks. Pretty sure that's how it sounds. But yeah. um, I uh, I do have a question real quick. TNG, is it still on Netflix? 
Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's still on Netflix. It. Mm-hmm. It's on Paramount Plus. You can also, if you're the kind of person who buys individual episodes on YouTube, you can do that. So that those are some ways that you can watch this if you're wondering how to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but continuing with the thank yous, thank you Jishnu Guha for our theme music. Uh, we do appreciate his uh, recording it for us. And uh, I have a special thanks over here from somebody, so I'm going to ask whoever typed this up to say it out loud. Okay, so uh, I, we're going to give our final thank you to thank you to the Organians, mm. who Notch was trying to remember the name of back towards the beginning of the episode. Thanks for ending the Klingon Federation War of 2267. Where would we be? Are we sure that there wasn't some Organian leader who did some like shady shit? Some sort of like blown up. Mm, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, with non-corporeal beings, like, can you say that one of them is a leader, or are are there? I'm, I'm a little ambiguous. Moral as to, dilemma. There we go. Okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> All right, well, we'll see you next week, everybody. Goodbye. Bye. 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 Bye.